You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Hey, how's it going? This is comedian Kevin Bartini, and you are listening to the Derek Diamond Experience. This is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for checking out this week's edition of the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of January 15th, 2015. Hopefully this podcast finds you in a good place. Hopefully you're sticking to your New Year's resolutions, if you made any, or you're just in a good place in general. And for those that may be listening to the show for the first time, I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and I'm from the Pensacola, Florida area. And every week I bring to you an interview slash conversation I've had with someone that could be from the world of film, television, art, literature, really anybody who I think has an interesting story to tell. And this week we're going to cut right to the chase with our guest this week. He is a stand-up comedian who is open for both The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. His name is Kevin Bartini, and you'll get to hear about how he got started in the world of theater before moving into stand-up comedy, uh, some of his favorite stand-up comics from when he was growing up, who he's worked with, and you'll get to hear a cool story about him petitioning to get a road in New York named George Carlin Way, and he succeeded in doing that, and it's a really fascinating story. And also, he's a fellow podcaster who hosts the Movie Preview Review podcast, which I just recently listened to, and it's very, very good. It's a really good concept where he and a few other people review movies based off of only seeing the preview, and you'll get to hear about that as well. And he also has a new album that recently came out this past Tuesday. It's called The Unintentionally White Album, which you can find on iTunes and various other places. And we'll get to that conversation with Kevin Bartini here in just a second. But first, I want to talk about the Unicorn Wranglers and the release of their brand new album, Murder Mystery Night. It has 10 brand new tracks, including their new single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which happens to be the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. Murder Mystery Night is available now on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And don't forget to check them out on social media. Like them on Facebook. Their Twitter and Instagram handles are at Wranglers. And last but not least, check out their website, unicornwranglers.com. We're here on the Derek Diamond Experience with my special guest this week. He is a stand-up comic who has opened for both The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. And he's just released his brand new album, The Unintentionally White Album, which is now available on iTunes. We have Mr. Kevin Bartini on the line. How you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. No problem. We were actually just talking uh, right before we started that you know, connecting through social media has been kind of crazy and advantageous for us because that's, that's how we met. And that's actually how I've met uh, the last few and some upcoming guests is through uh, social media, whether it be like Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, man. It's, the, Twitter is amazing for that. It's, you really you have access to uh, 
to virtually anyone, you know, and uh, I'm able to, as far as promoting, or re- being able to reach my fans, it's great. And then as far as like promoting my album and finding new podcasts to do and things like that, it's, you know, it does the job of what a publicist used to do for uh, for a lot less. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of, say, comics or indie filmmakers, or really anybody that is doing like their own project, it really helps out with that because it's a medium that you know no one's really had before and didn't have you know back in the 80s or the 90s because indie filmmakers had no way really to get their work out right but now but now they do with you know social media and youtube yeah it's a whole different it's a whole different uh world now thanks to all you know thanks the internet and social media like you can i was able to put my album out without having to go through a record company it's all self-produced and then marketing it through social media and reaching out to people and you know it used to be for stand-ups to get to get any exposure you know you would have to either a just do like the tonight show for national exposure or or you come to some town and you have to do these you know these horrific morning morning radio shows and uh and get up at the at the crack of, you know, 5 a.m. to do all that kind of stuff. So this is just awesome to be able to, you know, we're doing this from, from our respective living rooms via Skype and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it opens me to your audience and you to my audience. So I, I think it's, it's really an awesome time to be, to be a, an artist who's, who, who, whether it's a filmmaker or a comic or whatever, because you do have a, a, an amazing, amazing resource uh, if, if used properly in the Internet and all the social media. Yeah, absolutely. You, so your your first album you put out, you produced that yourself? Yeah, I did the first album about three or so years ago, um, and that was called uh, Showing the Horses Who's Boss, and I recorded it uh, in here in New York City at a comedy club over the course of three nights, and we filmed that one for uh, so I would have DVDs and CDs to sell after shows, and that's also available online on um, – for you know, for de- for audio download as well, and now this is the second one, and this uh, this again was self produced. I you know I financed the the production of it, and then uh, you know, and then am able to release it uh, on on the internet. It'll be it's available on iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else that that uh, anybody would go to buy albums. Yeah, I I actually listened to your first album right before we started recording and it, it was really good. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Man. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love the, uh, I love the two bits you did. Uh, well, my two favorites were probably the one about the, uh, the Microsoft word paperclip uh-huh. and how it, that, that one made me laugh. Cause I, I've had that exact same problem. And uh-huh. then the, the dare graduate yeah. bit, because what, what's funny is I was out shopping right before Christmas and I found a dare t-shirt yeah. at a JC Penny and it just made me laugh. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, man, thank you. That was a, it was a fun album to do. Um the the first one Horses, it was a uh, kind of a collaboration of of the best stuff that I had written over my first 10 years as a stand-up and I was very it was very important to me that I didn't put out an album too early. Uh mm-hmm. cuz I cuz the other thing with with, you know, with the internet and stuff is that it's it's there forever. Once you upload it, it's there forever, and it and I didn't want to have an album that I couldn't be proud of, or more specifically, that five ten years later I would be embarrassed by. So I waited a long time, and and uh, you know I'm I'm proud of that album. And now the second one is you know it, it in 
instead of the first 10 years, this is it took me the next three years to kind of write and, and right. own it. And um, I think it's a little bit more mature and it's a little bit more um, – it has a little bit more of a theme and a through line than than the last album, uh, and so I'm I'm you know I'm challenging myself to to do a new album hopefully every two years here on out, but we'll see if I can get it every three years I'll be happy. Yeah, that that's a good goal to have. You when you're doing something like that, whether it be like comedy or you know I, I do freelance film work, and to me when you do stuff like that, you should always challenge yourself yeah. to achieve new goals so that way you don't get stagnant because yep. that, that's that's kind of half the fun of it is learning new things and beating your own challenges yeah exactly and you want to be i want to I, I want to be always writing and coming up with new stuff and challenging myself because you get bored with your own material as a comic if you keep doing it too much and and i want to i want to have new things for my audience to you know, to, to be able to check out. Um, so it's kind of like the, you know, like George Carlin started that with putting out a new special every 18 to 24 months. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, so I shoot for, for two years. Uh, there's a couple of guys who are doing it at that rate. You know, Jim Gaffigan is putting out one about every other 18 to 24 months and Louis C.K. And, uh, you know, so if I can catch up to those guys, of course, the, the difference being that they have a a different theater to do uh, an hour, an hour and a half at every night at their disposal, wherever across the country. So um, I'm not at their level yet. So if I can, if I can do it every three years, uh, I'll be, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, definitely. So you, you're living in New York currently. Are you originally from New York? Yeah, no, I live in New York. I grew up in, um, in the Berkshires, which is in Western Massachusetts. It's about two and a half hours away from Manhattan, but I've lived. Okay. So not too far. Yeah. But I moved down here, uh, you know, like my first after I've been doing comedy for a year, so I, I've been here now for I don't know fourteen years, fifteen years. It's been a while. When you were growing up, were you like always into stand-up comedy? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a child of of the '80s, and that's when the comedy boom was. And mm-hmm. there was a time when stand-up was just always on cable television. Every channel had you know had a stand-up show because it's what was hot and it was cheap to produce, and. Um, uh, you know, since I was about five, six years old, I just I got into that, and I got into sketch and Saturday Night Live and and that kind of stuff. So I've I've always been a fan of it, and it's it it is basically it's what I always just wanted to do. There was really no uh, there was no plan B. It was it was it was I was going to be a stand up. That's what I decided when I was about six years old, and I really didn't have any uh, fighter pilot or uh, basketball star flights of fancy. It was it pretty much always, <laughs> I'm going to do stand up. That was it. Yeah, the seventies and eighties SNL and stand up are just so fun yeah. to go back and watch still to this day. Yeah. There were so many great and, and amazing comics and, and and the awesome SNL and they were packaging I remember the original Saturday Night Live, the original cast in like half hour installments on, on Nick at night and I was I was just eating all that stuff up. I was um and what's cool now is is about being a stand up as opposed to if your dream as a kid was to be a ball player or something like that, is all those, you know, so many of those guys who I was watching on Evening at the Improv and Caroline's Comedy Hour and, and all these other cable things, I've gotten to now meet them, work with them, get to know them, uh, be on the same bill with so many of these guys, which is, it's amazing. And it's not something that if you wanted to be a ball player, you know, all those ball players that you idolized in the '80s. Well, by the time you were old enough to play, they were all retired. You know, right. I, uh, I, I still. I, so there, there's that cool little thing that the, that you know, if I could go back and tell 
10-year-old me that one day you'd open for so-and-so or count so-and-so as a friend. Uh, that's just a, it's a cool thing to think about every once in a while. Well, who are some of the comics that you worked with that you idolized uh, growing up? Uh, oh, I mean, just people I bumped into or crossed paths with over the over the years. Uh, I mean, I've gotten to meet once or twice and be on a bill at you know just just randomly on a bill at like um, at like Gotham here in Manhattan with with like Jerry Seinfeld has just dropped in. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, everybody. Uh, um, I've gotten to open different times for for people like Dom Irera. Um, Gilbert Gottfried, I'm I'm now friendly with Rick Overton. I'm now friendly with um, Bobby Slayton and Bobby Collins, and uh, um, and then you know then guys like Lewis Black, and then you know uh, John Stewart. I used to watch him do stand up when I was young, and now I get to you know open for his show uh, from time to time. And mm-hmm. I've crossed paths with so many over over the years now that uh, you know it's hard to come up with a with a list off the top of my head. It's almost a list of who I haven't met or interacted with at this point. It's a shorter list. I gotcha. So when you watched comedy growing up, was there like a specific comic that made you really think this is what I want to do? Um, they all made me think this is what I want to do. The guys who stood out for me the most back then when I was a kid was uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, you know, Jerry, Jerry was always killer, uh, and he was like the top dog back then, so he would always – be popping up on those cable shows and it was something about him he was my favorite as a kid and i got to see him live when i was like 12 years old and and concert was awesome so i loved him um and i loved i loved a guy named dennis wolfberg who passed away a long time ago but Mm -hmm. he's very unique very funny comedian and and then you know like dennis miller uh i always loved his style he was a really smart really funny guy and and then i got into you know george carlin and 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 then um you know throughout the years richard pryor and and then discovering as I got older, um, discovering the older guys like like Bob Newhart and his stand up is, is some of my favorite, and Woody Allen's stand up is genius and stuff like that. I mean, the list of guys that I'm fan a fan of uh, just goes on and on. And I'm uh, you know I'm I'm a comedy nerd uh, as much as I'm I am a comic myself. I had no idea Woody Allen did stand up. Dude, Woody Allen is hilarious. Really, I'll have to look that up. He was he was before he was a you know before he got into to writing movies and directing movies, he was a stand up and there's there's recordings of him from from like the 1960s. Like he used to be on Bleecker Street and and in the in the Village back in the day with you know the the comics who were around back then in his time. You're talking about a young Woody Allen performing and then a young George Carlin and a young um, Bill Cosby and a young um, Lily, uh, Liv, what the heck's her name? Um, she did all the characters, had her own show in the 70s. I'm blanking on her name. One ringing dingy. What the hell's her name? Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking. I, I know who you're talking about, but Lily it's Tom- like right on the Lily t- Tomlin. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Rivers. Like, he, was, he was all a part of that scene back then, and his stuff is hilarious. And uh, well, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll love him. You'll love him. Definitely look him up. Definitely worth worth picking up um you know he, they've got compilation albums and stuff woody allen is is is, is a tremendous comedy writer and, a, and was a really funny stand-up and then the other one who was big for me when i was young was was uh, eddie murphy you know because oh eddie murphy was great yeah eddie murphy was 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 amazing just just amazing he was one of the guys you know that uh seinfeld my parents would watch with me but eddie murphy he had to he had to sneak his his <laughs> I can imagine, it, you know, when they weren't around or when my mom couldn't hear me hear what I was listening to. But I, I loved Eddie Murphy. 
Yeah, Eddie Murphy was so good. Yeah. His, his Delirious and Raw specials are two of my favorite specials of all time. But Yeah, absolutely. You know, Car- Carlin's great. Um, I, I personally didn't really get into stand-up until I was a teenager. Right. But, you know, I, I've watched some old, through Netflix, I've watched George Carlin specials. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld was actually here in Pensacola a couple of months ago. I didn't get to go to his show because I was out of town that weekend. Yeah. But from what I heard from people that, uh, that went and said, you know, he's still got it and he's still great. Oh yeah. He, he's, he's hilarious. I mean, he's he not only still got it is actively working it. I mean, here's a guy who, who uh, is, you know, is just the real deal stand up and, and can do, you know, obviously has enough money where he could just retire to some Island and never, you know, never get off the beach again, but he's out doing stand up dates um, constantly and, and working on new stuff and, dropping into clubs in Manhattan. So that's when I say I've gotten to be on lineups. I've gotten to be on shows where, you know, Jerry Seinfeld just pops in. That's that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. Yeah. So I looked on your website, and it said you actually got uh, your start in uh, theater. Yeah. And how, how, did, how did you get started into theater? Um, well, theater started because I wanted to do stand-up, and I knew since I was a kid that I wanted to do stand-up. But... Um, you know, there's a certain unless you want to be a novelty, uh, there's a bit of an age limit to becoming a stand-up. You have to be, you know, about you know twenty, nineteen, twenty before you really start. Uh, so leading up to that age, um, I did a lot of theater whenever I could, just with the idea that I wanted to be um, comfortable on stage. I wanted to have poise. I wanted to have presence. And I figured those things, you know, I could learn by just getting comfortable on stage as a as an actor, um, right. theater. And that way, when I did take the stage as a stand up, even though my material wouldn't be decent yet, I, I would at least look good delivering it, which turned out to be what happened. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I uh, so I, I just started doing, you know, any production in grade school and high school and summer stock and. Uh, community theater, whatever I could, just um, again and again, just just to get those reps before I started doing stand up. Also, I should say back then in the eighties and nineties, when I was a kid, the there was still that thing of uh, you know you become a stand up and eventually they will give you your own sitcom. So there was the the thought of well, when it comes time for them to give me my sitcom, I have to be a good actor. So that was the other right. Thing. <laughs> Little did I know, like literally right before I started comedy and in ninety nine. You know, I uh, but so just before that, like '98, that's like when all the reality shows started, survived, right. and all that stuff, and the sitcom died, and you know, development deals died. Like literally, the moment I started my first day, like the entire business changed. So the the sitcom thing never worked out, but it definitely gave me the poise when it came time to to do the stand up for sure. Yeah, definitely. How long did you do theater? I still do it if uh, if I get a chance. But I mean, I oh really? All cool. yeah, all throughout my childhood, and then uh, I stopped when I started to do stand up. But I did um, I did a tour of a play for three months about two years ago, and I'll still audition for for plays here and there. And if I get a chance and it works out, I'm I'm I would love to to do more theater and 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 have that just as part of what I do. Do you have like a a dream role that you would like to play, like you know, in a theater play? Uh, no, Lady Mac- Lady Macbeth. I think I would be an actor for. <laughs> uh, that would be great. I, yeah, I don't. I um, 
I just figure, you know, when if something comes along and and they want me, I'll, I'll you know, and it's interesting, I'll take it. But I don't, I'm not actively pushing, you know, to to get into more theater to do it. But if it pops up, I'll, I'll definitely definitely go for it. There were a lot of you know things I didn't know about theater acting, and once I learned it, I, I gained a ton of respect for, you know, the whole process because it seems like theater actors. I won't say prepare more, but they have to do more than film actors because you have to be a lot more animated, you know, with body motions and things like that. Whereas being on film, it's more just what you say. Oh, there's so much more work in general. And you're just speaking in general terms to be a theater actor over a film actor. There's so much more work that goes into a theater. I mean, you have to, when it comes to theater, you have to uh, obviously memorize every line you have for, you know, what could be a 90 minute production and in film, you don't have to memorize. It'll, you know, you'll get sometimes you get your lines the day before. They're constantly rewriting and changing, so you don't even, you know, have to go through those weeks and weeks of just drilling and running lines and memorizing it. And then that's you know, true. Then, then there's the the travel or whatever. Or if you're lucky enough to get something, a role in a show on Broadway, then it's, uh, you know, then you're doing like what eight to ten performances a week and. It's your entire life, and, and when you're not on stage, you're protecting your voice and your your inch. Oh, there's it's a it's a wildly uh, wildly um, involved and strenuous job. Uh, and then on top of it, you know, more more times a theater actor or an actor in general is is out of work than they're working. So there's there's a lot of people. Uh, you know, I think sometimes think don't don't realize exactly how much work goes into that kind of stuff. But it's it's intense. Yeah, a lot of the theater actors and actresses I know that transition to film say that film is so much easier. Yeah. They said it's not even you can't even compare it. Yeah, that's that's what what limited stuff I have with on camera work is uh, compared to theater or even to to stand up is is you know it's a cakewalk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you go into stand up comedy. What were what were some of the first say places you performed at? Have you but did you start in New York? Yeah, I did my first year um, in Albany, New York, which is only because it was the nearest comedy club to to my home, to where I lived. And uh, that club is called the Comedy Works, and um, I still perform there now from from time to time. But they would give us guest spots to new Jack comics and um, like five minutes here and there. Uh, it was sporadic. It wasn't a Albany isn't a great comedy scene if you're looking to develop. It just it just was close to me. So uh, I started there, and I, I um, after a year, I had made some connections with some New York comics. And uh, the one in particular um, at the time, you know, who I made the best connection one with was Lisa Lampanelli. And this is long before she got famous. Um, she was already headlining and, and uh, was killing, and she um, – she brought me down to New York and set me up at my first club, and I took some classes for her, and I, I uh, worked when I got down there as her assistant a little bit and wrote for her a little bit. And she, she was instrumental in transitioning me uh, from Albany into New York and, and helping me out. Um, so I, so you know, I did one year in Albany, um, and, then, and then from then on out, it's just been New York City and, and traveling on the road. I haven't seen any of Lisa Lampanelli's stand-up, but I've seen her on the the Comedy Central roast, and she's she's usually the highlight just because she, because she's the meanest one. She's, yeah, yeah, she was <laughs> she was especially back then. Uh, I mean, she would just crush. There was nobody like what she did. It was all insult comedy, and uh, mm-hmm. 
it was funny. It, it was it was in every joke, everything was just really strong, really well written, and uh, she had such a great persona. It was like you know you could just tell she was going to be a, a star, and uh, turns right. out she was. Um, but her her whole thing, which was awesome when when I was opening for her, was her act was. Uh, it was all insult comedy, and it was all based on snap judgments on people. So in order for her to do her act, she had to have certain groups throughout the room. There had to be a gay guy. There had to be a lesbian. There had to be a black guy. There had to be a Latino. There had to be an Asian. There had to be you know all these different groups so that she could – it was just basically go from one to the next and keep going back and forth with jokes about you know about what group they are and, and you know insults. Um, but this was, you know, I was, I was, when I knew her best, we were years and years um, before she got famous and was selling out theaters. So we would do comedy clubs sometimes, and there may be 20 people in, in a show, and uh, absolutely no uh, racial diversity in the room. So she would actually, in order to be able to do it, people would have to suspend their disbelief, and just random people in the audience would have to be certain ethnicities just for the act of work. And right. there was times where I would have to sit in the room and watch her and be her gay guy, even though I'm straight or, <laughs> or even, or even turn my, my ball cap around backwards and be her black guy because she had to, in order to do the whole act, she just had to, had to right. have that. So that was always interesting working with her, uh, in those kind of nights. That's crazy. It's, 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 it's cool how you've got to, you know, interact with all these, you know, world-renowned comedians that that's just that's cool yeah I'll, I'll have to check her stand-up out uh sometime too i think she has some specials on netflix as well but like i said i've just i've seen her on the various roasts she's done and she she's been great on those she's usually the highlight oh yeah yeah she she killed i mean she just absolutely crushed night in and night out she was killer and something that, like the one of the main things I wanted to ask you, I heard you on another podcast when you were talking about uh, getting a street in New York named George Carlin Way. Yes. And how how long did that process take? And you know, from what I remember, what you said, it was kind of a a long and uh, not sometimes not so pleasant process. It was um, – yeah, it, it was a three-year process start to finish, and um, what we did is I, I had the idea um, – George Carlin grew up in, in my neighborhood where I live here in New York, and uh, right. And I, I just – I got the idea after walking over to his block and to his street and to find the building he grew up in. There was no markings at all that said George Carlin grew up there. You would have no idea. No, nothing on the building. Nothing. That's crazy. Yeah, it really was strange. And uh, so I came up with the idea that, well, it's time for New York to name the street George Carlin Way and is, is what we went with. Uh, so I, I, um, we did a little research, talked to a couple people, and, and li literally just started out at the very beginning with my uh, – you know, with, with a with – a, um, pad of paper in hand and having people, you know, standing on the corner, having people sign my petition. And, uh, and then we did an online petition and, um, we ended up, it ended up taking three years because we got some, we had some controversy. The Catholic church put up a fight and, uh, made it a much bigger thing. And it became like a national news story for a little while. And, um, 
that you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say though that it was ever unpleasant uh, i i certainly enjoyed i certainly enjoyed every moment of it it's just we did have uh we did have some controversy and uh and have some have some you know um extra work it should have taken about 18 months and it took 3 years because of the opposition but at least it did go through yes but it did go through the sign hangs and if your listeners are in new york city uh you can go to the corner of west 121st street and morningside avenue uh and as well come this spring it'll be on 121st street and amsterdam avenue and you'll see the sign uh for george carlin way it's uh, the street was was dedicated uh just this this october we had our our street sign unveiling ceremony I saw a picture of you with uh, Lewis Black and several other comedians, and I, I thought that was awesome. That was cool, yeah. That was – we did that last year at Gotham. That was a fundraising show to help pay for the entire campaign, the three-year campaign. Um, we ran up a couple of bills. So we did a fundraiser that night with Lewis Black and Todd Berry and Nick DiPaolo and uh, Judah Friedlander and, and Eddie Brill and, and many, you know, many others, uh, Liz Winstead. Uh, we did that at, at Gotham, and then on the uh, back in October, on the night that we dedicated the the, um, the street sign, that night we had another show. This time was just a celebratory show, and it was at Caroline's, and uh, we had uh, we had an equally stellar lineup. And we're actually Time Out New York just did their uh, year end issue, and they they said that our show was the second best stand up show of the year in New York City. So we we're pretty proud of that that's awesome yeah it was great that, that's fantastic um something i'm cur- something i'm curious about as a stand-up comic what is the process of you know getting ready for a show like if you know you're performing at such and such club on saturday what, uh-huh. what's the process that you have to go through uh you mean in preparing your material right yeah well you have your act and you have the the bits that you're working on or that you know will work and you just your first thing is to know is how you know the 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 basic stuff how much time you're expected to do uh you know where you're playing anything about you know the area or the audience or something like that that you may need to know if it's you know assuming you're not just at a comedy club but you may be at a road gig is it somewhere that you're expected to work clean is there you know anything else you need to know and then you just kind of uh you know if i'm doing and if i'm Depending on how much time I'm doing, if I'm doing a half hour or an hour, I have a set skeleton anyway of a routine of, well, this is what I do for 30 minutes and this is what an hour looks like. And you kind of you kind of just go with with that that general same list of bits. If you see me do an hour uh, this weekend and then in another city next weekend you see me do an hour, it's pretty similar. It's pretty close to identical. I, I leave myself freedom to riff. Um, and, and freedom to play and, and to go on. But in the basic bare bones format, you know, my hour is currently the same whatever town I'm playing with. Now, hopefully, if you see me in your town this week and I do my hour and you come back in and I come to your town again in a year, well, hopefully at least, you know, half of the material is brand new. You know, there's there's I try to keep track when I come back to town what I did the last time so I can swap out material and not not give you the same show twice in a row if you come to see me. Right. You know, you do that basically. Now that I have two albums, uh I have basically 2 hours of material that I've already put on record, so I I have that well to dip into and I have all the new stuff 
that I'm writing, and so you know, there's really no excuse to to come to a town twice in a in and do the same act twice. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, how did you get the gig with the Daily Show and the Colbert Report? Because that that's that's pretty big. Because both those shows were really popular, and I know a lot of people that love them. Yeah, uh, war- audience warm up is something that I've been doing for a number of years. Um, and it's kind of once you get your foot in the door uh, as a warm up comic, you know, you're you just kind of end up on some list somewhere where you can get contacted. You know, a lot of you know, uh, it's a small town in that way. So a lot of producers switch shows and, you know, you're, they know you from such and such a show or they call and we're looking for a guy who have you been using, who can you recommend? So um, anyway, my, I had done a couple of shows before that and the Daily Show uh, was looking for a guy to back up their main warm-up guy. Um, they generally have at any time, two or three warm-up guys uh, on their roster. They have the main guy. He gets his pick of the shows. Then they have the other two who get whatever's left over. And um, so they they uh, might, you know, they were looking for somebody. Um, they have a number of stand-ups who work for The Daily Show, a number of guys of their producers and their writers who who do some stand-up and, and uh, knew me through the scene. So somebody put my name in and said, what about Bartini? And uh, another guy was like, yeah, he's good. You should give him a try. So I just, you know, get the call, uh, and I got to go do one episode and, um, I was just told, you know, this is, this is how you audition for us. You do an episode. Um, and if John Stewart likes you, you're on, you're in the roster and, and we'll call you when there's work and you get to work with us. And if he doesn't, you know, you just won't hear from us again and we'll keep looking. Fortunately, he liked me and, uh, I started in with them a couple of years ago and, so I'm on their roster, and when, you know, um, sometimes it's feast or famine with those guys. Sometimes, you know, they need you for an entire week, and sometimes you go quite a while without hearing from them. But um, that's, you know, then Colbert is the same production company. So just like I said, you know, once you're in with one, you, you know, it was, it was, it was just a, a matter of time before a spot opened up at Colbert, and I, I moved in over there and started with them as well. So um, I was fortunate enough with, with Colbert that, I'd worked for them a number of times over the last couple of years and have made really good contacts with the show. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that'll pay off once he takes over for Letterman. And I think uh, also what was cool was I got to be one of the two warm-up guys for the last last episode. So I got to be there for that and then be at the rap party. And, and that was an amazing night, an amazing time. Yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you about that because the, the last show of the – Colbert report was huge and what what was what was the atmosphere like you know whether it be from the production staff or the audience just the atmosphere in general what was it like during that last episode well I can tell you um I did 12 of the final 24 episodes so I was there quite a bit over the last couple of weeks and um you really almost couldn't tell that you know, from the staff or anything else or, or from Steven or for how they were doing their jobs that the end of the line was coming. Um, everything seemed normal. You would hear a little talk about, oh, how weird it is. And, you you know, I remember seeing when they brought in a big, uh, this huge industrial size roll of, of bubble wrap, you know, <laughs> that was just sitting off to the side because things were going to have to be shipped out pretty soon. Um, so the 
the vibe in the room for the last shows, the audiences were amazing. You know, warming them up was, was almost, it was almost my job to cool them off. They were so excited to be there. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And then the last, the last, last show, it was, it was really surreal. I walked in that night, um, into the offices upstairs where you go, you, you know, you, you check in with the security. And then I, I was going to the back to hang my coat, and I was expecting there to be some celebrities there. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the hot ticket. I was expecting in the actual audience. I had no idea what they were going to do. Um, and uh, I walked back, and there was a cocktail party going on, and I'm just walking through to hang my coat. And just every person I walked past is is famous. It, it was just, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Oh, my God. And then I go down, and then I, I see what – you know. I see the the rehearsal. I see – you know, what was it, like a hundred, and, and then, um, then I'm just, you know, then it's time to tape the show, and I'm hanging out backstage, and I'm I'm talking to Yo Yo Ma, and he's he's uh, he he has a house in the Berkshires, and he's been at Tanglewood, which is this big music venue. It's kind of like his home. So I started chatting with him about that, and then the next thing you know, you know, Henry Kissinger is walking by me, and Barry Manilow, and then uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and you know, every time you round and then he starts taping the show and i'm in the back in the dressing rooms watching it on a monitor and i'm i'm in a i'm in a room and it's me and uh, tell me who doesn't belong in this in this picture uh in the room was me john stewart tom brokaw uh i believe neil degrasse tyson and um brian cranston wow that's <laughs> yeah that's so quite a surreal. menagerie of just, people <laughs> it was yeah and man, it, man, it was amazing. And, and then the, 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 the show itself, and I can say this, even though I work for the show, but since I have nothing to do with the production of it or the writing of it, uh, and, and now having seen it, um, you know, seen it live, but then seen it in the privacy of my own home a couple of times, I, I think that's the, the best series finale I've ever seen. I, it, it was just so amazing and so well done. And Yeah, it's, it's definitely up there on my list for sure. Yeah, and then we're you know then they were all all the celebrities were in doing the that final thing, and I'm in this green room with I don't even know really who was there, a couple of assistants maybe uh, for some of the people and whatever, and just watching it on a screen. And I mean, I got I got a little misty. I can tell you that that standing back there and as it was happening, and you know, but then like two days later when I actually got to sit and watch it here at home alone, I uh, I bawled like a little baby when it, I was just like, it was, it really got me just as a fan of the show, because that's the cool thing about both of those. Like I was a fan of the daily show since day one. And I was a fan of, of, of John Stewart. And, you know, I got to be a part of it, you know, what, 13, 14 years into their run. So I've always maintained myself as a fan of that show first. And anytime I get to work for them, it's it's awesome because I get to be a part of it, but then I'm hanging out backstage and I get to watch all these live tapings of it and, and be a fly on the wall. It's it's really wonderful. I'm very, very fortunate to, to be a part of – even a small part of that organization. Yeah, I think Colbert is going to do a great job replacing Letterman. I am completely confident that he will. Uh, and And from what I've seen of him – off camera, he's the real deal, man. He's he's going to be he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's going to be weird not seeing Letterman on TV, but just because he's been around forever. But I think Colbert's going to do great. And what's what's crazy is I remember seeing him in the first season of Whose Line Is It Anyway before he really? even started the Colbert Report. Oh, well, mm-hmm. well they, yeah, that's 
That's wild. Yeah, I remember him. First I saw, well, I with The Daily Show and then Stranger with Candy, which he started both of those around the same time. So when I first did. Which that show still holds up. That's a hilarious show. And Paul Danello, Paul Danello, who was, you know, also on Stranger with Candy, played Joffrey, his uh his his lover. Uh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was they remember the the whole subplot with, with they were like closeted gay closeted teachers. He was more buttoned up and then Joffrey was was the art teacher. Anyway, Danello was one of the writers over at Colbert, so I would see him bouncing around. So Oh, know, I didn't just, know that. Yeah, as a fan of that show I uh, I got to, I got to rub elbows with him a little bit too, which was kinda cool. That is cool. I also read that you do a podcast, and that that's uh, that jumped out at me because you know I do a podcast myself. It's called the Movie Preview Review Podcast, and what what is your podcast about? Yeah, man, thank you for asking me about that. It's uh, the Movie Preview Review Podcast is um, a podcast where I review new movies based on having only seen their previews. so I love the, it already. Yeah, right? It's a cool concept, <laughs> I, I think. The idea is you can tell so much about a movie just from a 90-second preview of it. I, I totally agree with that 100%. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it started out a few years ago. Um, I had a little bit of idle time. I just finished a writing job, and I was in this mindset of joke writing, joke writing, and you give me a subject, I could do a couple pages of it. And I saw um, – I think I was going to see a movie in the theater and I saw the preview was – one was for like the third Meet the Parents, like Meet the Fockers. And uh, the other one was for a Tyler Perry, Medea's whatever. I don't even remember what Medea. And I just like, – I watched these one, two right in a row, these previews, and I A, had a bunch of jokes that popped out of my head. But B, I was like, boy, these look terrible. And that's where the idea of the podcast came. <laughs> so I started – just by just by literally doing re- review, writing five pages of jokes about everything about Little Fockers, about how disappointed I was in what Robert De Niro was doing with his career these days, about everything, and and the same with Tyler Perry and putting them out. And I did, I did probably twenty episodes like that, which was just me doing a review. And then um, we've I I, I I stopped doing it because I just kind of got. Uh, it, it wasn't a sustainable format, and then I got to the point of doing. Um, now I do it in a new format, which is myself with a guest, and I have a couple people on the podcast um, who are uh, a, a co-host and a producer, and and my wife who is like uh, handles our news, uh, our news girl, and and so it becomes more uh, instead of an essay, it becomes more of an improv and and of a conversation, um, and we all have different tastes in movies, so it's not. You know, it's never five people shitting on the same movie at the same time. It's somebody inver- inevitably uh, that movie that we're seeing is in their wheelhouse. You know, if it's a terrible chick right. flick, something that my wife can defend while we're all uh, coming down on it. And my producer and my co-host, they're into the superhero movies and more of the nerd stuff. So, um, And then whatever the guest brings to the table. So it's it's called the Movie Preview Review, and um, people can find it at moviepreviewreview.com. It's on iTunes. You can find a link through kevinbartini.com. And uh, uh, we, we are back in the studio um, as of this week doing new episodes. So brand new, fresh episodes will uh, we'll be launching. Probably when people hear this, there will probably already be a, a new episode up. It's such a genius concept because if you really think about it, we all 
judge a movie by the preview. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, thank you, first of all. And yes, it, you, you do. It, that's what a preview is all about. You're supposed to be able to see it, see if you like it, see, you know, um, see if it interests you, see if it seems funny or, or whatever else. But then the other side of it is you, you know, when it's not for you, when it looks terrible, you can really see that too. And, and you can, you know, they, they're tipping their hands now, um, movies and producers and, and really letting you see that, you know, there's signs that a movie's going to be terrible. Like, like the worse the movie is, I have this theory, the more they'll do to publicize it, uh, especially if there's big stars in it. So, because they're 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 what they're basically saying is we've got to go all hands on deck to try to get people out and excited to see this movie opening weekend because oh because by week two we're going to get nothing when everybody who's seen it tells everybody they know what crap it is so when you see a movie legend like you know like um an Al Pacino or a Meryl Streep on you know on the Rachel Ray show making meatballs with her doing stuff that's way below their station as a movie star. That's a huge signal. This this is desperate to get you to come out to it. Um, and, That's a good point. Yeah, and when you and so these are the kind of points we bring up, and we keep our eye on on that kind of stuff. And uh, and and it's yeah, it, you know, I don't, I don't need to, to take up too much of your time talking about the podcast, but it's a fun podcast. We have great guests. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of comedian friends and and friends from the improv community who come on, and and uh, and and our core four are all funny in their own right and interesting so it's a um i i'm, I'm again it, i i don't i try not to put out any product um to my audience that i'm not proud of and don't stand behind and, and I'm, I'm 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 a big fan of the movie preview review beyond just being the guy who created it yeah i'll definitely have to check it out because one thing we were talking about earlier before we started was how useful podcasts can be and how just fun they can be because i have i believe close to 20 that i listen to oh yeah I, li- I listen to mostly podcasts. I listen to podcasts way more than the radio oh, or yeah. music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A couple more things that I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, your website also said that you've done some comedy writing and you've done writing for shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what shows have you written for? Uh, I wrote for a, um, uh, an, a, a sports-themed sketch comedy series for HBO, which um, – Ended up airing, ended up running on HBO.com for quite a while. That was called Got No Game. Um, and now it's available. You can find links to it from my website if people are interested. Um, but what, what it, when it says wrote for shows, I haven't been like a staff writer. Like I wasn't like a staff writer on 30 Rock. But what I am is I'm a ghost writer for other comedians. So um, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll have a comic who's going to be appearing on a certain program, especially like the news type programs. Like when Keith Olbermann had his show, he utilized a lot of comedians in the last act of it. Uh, things like that, where they're going to be going on doing panel on a show and they will hire me to write material for them or jokes and, or punch up their acts and stuff like that. So as a result, I've written for, you know, a number of different shows on msnbc and comedy central things like that but being a ghostwriter, i'm not i don't get to actually tell you what i've written and what i've done and who i've written for most of the time because that's the whole idea of being a ghostwriter. you're not supposed to know that somebody who you're not watching speak didn't write it i gotcha i gotcha yeah that's one of the ways i make make uh make my living as writer for hire so other comedians and i also write for 
you know, whatever. Somebody's wedding toast. I've written that. I've written for corporate guys when they have to make a speech too. It's, you know, just a hired gun whenever, whenever I can. Uh, I, I like to do that whenever anybody reaches out to me. So if I do get married, I should reach out to you to write my toast. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing weddings because <laughs> it's a roast, you know? Oh, absolutely. I've done a couple of them. They're a lot of fun. I'll have to keep that in mind. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, do you have a website, social media, and whatnot that you'd like to plug? Yeah, sure. People can um, can follow me on Twitter and find me on Facebook. Those are my two main social media outlets, and there's plenty of videos. Uh, I have my own YouTube channel of stand-up and stuff like that. Um, but instead of giving you 15 different addresses, just go to kevinbartini.com, and from there you can find links to Facebook and Twitter and all the social media. Um, you can also find links to buy my new album, the Unintentionally White album, um, and you can find links to the podcast and, and everything else. We do our best to make, make it a one-stop shop, so kevinbartini.com is, is the easiest thing to remember for people. Yeah, that, that's the way to do it because my show is part of a, a podcasting network, uh-huh. and, and we've now kind of branched everything under one banner right so that way is through one twitter page one website one facebook page and it's it's just a lot easier that way yeah absolutely absolutely you, you want to make it easy for people to find and, and find stuff but but yeah please follow me on twitter and i will uh let people know when when i'm coming to your town or when we have you know when i have a new video i'll post links to it and and uh we're doing some some every once in a while some little cuts and tracks from the from the new album and and, um, you know, that, that's the best way, easiest way to get in touch with me is through Twitter for sure. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. This was fun. You can check out his new album, the Unintentionally White Album, now available on iTunes. Right. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Big thank you once again to Kevin Bartini for coming on the show and having that really fun conversation. And don't forget, you can check out all of our shows on the Nerd Cave Network. We have the Nerd Cave Podcast on Tuesday, Fist of Monkey on Wednesday, the Derek Diamond Experience on Thursday, and Time for Comics on Friday. You can find all of those shows on iTunes as well as nerdcavenetwork.com. And I think that does it for this week, so enjoy the rest of your week, have a safe weekend, and we'll see you guys next Thursday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.